Hello, and welcome to another virtual conference sponsored by AffairHealing.com. I'm your host, Tim Tech. Let's talk about a problem experienced by many couples following the discovery of an affair. And it occurs when the unfaithful spouse is indecisive regarding their choice to return to the marriage or not. And an affair in which there has been a strong emotional connection is more likely to result in this, this kind of uncertainty because the wayward spouse is often conflicted between the choice to recommit to the spouse or to stay with the affair partner. I mean, this indecision can go on for a very long time. I've watched intelligent, decisive men and women go back and forth between these two choices over and over again. And that's why I call it the ping pong effect. And from the perspective of the betrayed spouse, there are moments of joy and hope with the return of the wife or husband, only to experience a renewed anguish when the unfaithful spouse exits the marriage again. And this can go on and on and on for months, even years. It's a process that eventually breaks down everybody involved. And why does it happen? Well, it happens because the person that had the affair is in conflict between two choices, each of them from their perspective with pros and cons. Many times an unfaithful spouse will sit in my counseling office and in that in-between place of indecision, they will step through the list of choices, the list of the advantages, the list of the pros and cons between the choice to go with uh, a spouse, return to the spouse, compared to the choice to go back to the affair partner. They are caught in the middle of this, unable to choose either way. I think part of the reason is that there is a fear of making the wrong choice. And if they make a wrong choice, that doesn't work out, will they still have a safety net to return to on the other side? So I, I really do get the sense that for some, that being caught in the middle, that inability and sometimes refusal to make a decision is often driven by the fear that if I go this way or if I go that way, I'm going to lose that safety net on the other side. It en ends up working against everybody I know because if that indecision goes on and on, the most likely outcome is going to be that everybody loses at the end. But if that person can stay in the middle and if they can hold out long enough, I really do believe that many of them wait for a choice to be made apart from them. In other words, if I wait long enough, either the affair partner or my spouse may make the choice and then I'm not going to have to make it and then I've still got that safety net to fall back to. By the way, if you're a betrayed spouse, that, that cannot be fulfilling to have a husband or wife return to you simply because the affair partner gave up on them. You become the default choice. It's very hard to reestablish trust and a return of intimacy when you just know that you were the default. And I think for some unfaithful spouses staying in that place of indecision is simply driven by the fear of too many consequences if they make the choice that they really think they want to make. Oftentimes that's the desire of their heart is really to go to the affair partner, but they're afraid 
to do that because of the ramifications and that may be it may be the threat of losing children it may be the threat of financial loss through divorce it may be the loss of certain kinds of respect or the opinions of others either in the family or in a church the fear of the consequences keeps them from making the choice how can we stop this pattern let me say first of all in order for the ping-pong effect to keep going three people have to stay involved the unfaithful partner is the ball in the middle he or she is the ping-pong ball going back and forth but there's a paddle on either side the spouse and the affair partner and if you remove either one of them the ping-pong effect stops we can't really control what the affair partner is doing in this scenario I'm probably talking to you as either a betrayed spouse or an unfaithful spouse right now so let me just mention some things that you can give attention to that can stop the ping-pong effect from continuing if you're the betrayed partner here's my encouragement to you get out of the game the first time the ping-ponging starts and don't come back to it until the game is over this pattern gets established because oftentimes the betrayed spouse is encouraged by the return of a husband or wife they become hopeful and then and after a period of time and sometimes it's days sometimes it's week when there is a re-exiting from the marriage to either return to the affair or just to go out into some fog of uncertainty the betrayed spouse oftentimes sits there with a kind of pleading or hope trying to argue insisting that the betrayed spouse return to the marriage again so they remain ready for the for the for the ping-pong ball to return if the betrayed spouse comes back again then the cycle continues until they leave again and again as I've said before this can go on for, for such a long time so one way to stop it is for the betrayed spouse once the ping-pong first bounces back out remove yourself from the game and to not step back into it until the game that the game has stopped now we talk about that in the book uh, wayward spouse there's that whole strategy called the 180 strategy that's that's the kind of attitude and choice we're talking about from the betrayed spouse that in that moment you say I am no longer willing to be part of your indecisiveness I am willing to work on this marriage but what I need from you is a single-mindedness in your return to our marriage and your willingness to invest whatever effort is necessary to help us heal as long as you remain uncertain and indecisive I cannot be a part of this and, and let me say by the way that if they say that they are certain if they have bounced out of the marriage even once do not accept them back into the relationship with the first proclamation of I want back in I want to be with you you need to give that a little bit of time to so that you know and so that they know that that decision is a certain single-minded one that isn't going to diminish again after a few days or a couple weeks of being back in the marriage I talked recently with a client just this past week who has experienced this in her own marriage in the past months and I talked to her and I asked if she would be willing just to share a little bit about her experience and this is just a short recording of our phone call when you found out about the fact that your husband had been involved with somebody else and he admitted it I think what you experienced was not a quick come clean and hey let's do everything I can to save my marriage there was some kind of uncertainty or indecision in there 
correct? There was. That's correct. And But he was very quick to reassure me that it was that it was over and that he was willing to make a change and move forward even though you know and do the work that it would take to reassure me that it was okay and that so we you would... had that that declaration up front I, okay let's, yeah. let's do what we can to fix this and then yep. what happened and then um, it continued and I we were apart so it was hard for me to see if it was continuing or not continuing which is an unusual situation. But then I found out when we were together under the same roof again that um, his behavior was not one that was moving closer to me and that he was, eventually it came out that he was still having an affair with the same person and that he had not been as committed to changing as he had said or that I was committed to, you know, doing my actions. Yeah, so you, you, coming back in the home again, you didn't experience that effort to... No connect with you, fix the marriage, and then you eventually discovered while well, the affair is still going on. And then, then what was his response to that? Then his response again was, I'm going to end it and we're going to make this work. Um, and at that point I had packed my bags and was prepared to leave. But then when he had the reaction that he did, which was tears and remorse and for lack of a better word, begging me to stay, I felt like things would change again. So I moved forward, moved forward again, thinking that we would um, change. We have a new daughter. So I felt like it would be best for us to try to work through this together for her sake, more so than anybody's. And then how was he engaged from that point on in regards to trying to, um, to make things work? Um, I thought that we were both making efforts. To, you know, we were reading, we were doing things together to come closer together. And he, you know, again, kind of a few months later, got very distracted with work and with other things and came to the conclusion. Now, whether or not the person is still in the picture, I can only assume she is, but came to the conclusion that we need to separate, you know, so that we can both have clarity in terms of where we are emotionally and yeah, where we so are in our marriage. So you, you experienced this kind of back and forth. You didn't always know what was going behind the scenes, but there'd be these moments of, hey, I'm all in, let's make us work. And that yeah. would, that intensity, that focus would be there. And then uh, that would wane, you know, whether it was because of other distractions or because of what you suspect that there was that relationship was probably still pulling him the other way. That would kind of go back and then maybe another crisis and he'd be back again. It was a little bit yep. of that back and forth. And Correct. So and it was easy to disguise that, disguise probably what was really happening because he's all in, you know, very intense with work. So it was very easy to say, work is busy right now. What do you think you could have or would have done differently if you could go back again? Any idea? If I, yeah, I think um, my biggest regret, my biggest regret is not leaving when I found out that it was still going on the second time. So, so I found out. I thought we were reconciling and then I found out again and that was when my bags were packed and I regret not leaving because I think it, you know, I don't know if we would have been in the same position we're in right now, but I feel like it would have pushed things a little bit sooner than it's happened. Yeah. So, and I think that um, he maybe needed to face some things sooner than he did. I know those of you who are betrayed spouses, you know, you wish the writing could be on the wall the black and white, what's the choice I should make right now? 
I, I can only tell you that once this pattern starts in a marriage, the most likely outcome, if you as a betrayed spouse are not willing to create some boundaries and distance and hold out for a period of time in which the commitment and single-mindedness is demonstrated to you, then once this pattern finds its place into your experience, um, it, it's, it's a, it can be a long, depressing process that sucks hope and energy right out of you. Um, for your own safety, for your own health, and even for the hope of your marriage, my encouragement is to kind of step out once you see this pattern happening. The ping pong ball isn't going to be able to bounce back and forth. It's going to roll to one side of the table or the other, but you need to, you need to get out of the game. Let me just talk real briefly about what the unfaithful partner can do. And I don't know if there are unfaithful partners listening in. Um, and, and I will admit that this is a more complicated choice to help someone work through. I think to the betrayed spouse, it's you know, that they want to be empowered. So all I need to do is help them understand the tools to put boundaries in place. But the unfaithful spouse, their indecision is being fueled by these strong emotional appeals to one side or the other. And so it's, it's a little harder to work through. But I think it's helpful to realize that the two motives that pull you back and forth there, there are two primary motives that are doing that. And instead of investing in those two motives, you need to learn how to start investing in a third one instead. I've written about this at other places on the site, but let me just talk about it briefly. When I see someone that's ping-ponging, more often than not, they're cycling back between these two things. On the one hand, there's a sense of obligation and duty and expectation Oftentimes, that's the sense of, I know the right thing to do is to fix my marriage, to avoid divorce. And if children are involved, certainly as a responsible parent, I, I know that that's my duty. And so sometimes with head bowed, <laughs> you know, they will come back to say, yes, I'm willing to work on my marriage. There's not a lot of excitement and a lot of emotion behind it, but there's this a strong sense of I knowing that's what's ex this is what I ought to do. It's what is, is expected of me. That is the... That is the motivation of doing, driven by the need for approval or appeasement. And the, and the source of approval may be parents, family, peers, partner, church, God, or any other outward standard. But a doing person's focus is, is to maximize praise and to minimize disapproval. And so that, when that is going on, when that is driving, is the motive that's driving a, a consideration or a choice, the unfaithful partner will swing usually back in towards the spouse or the marriage. But then there's this other pull. There's this other motive. I call that the getting motive. The getting motive is driven by a need for gratification and pleasure. And the person acting out of a desire to get believes that satisfaction will be realized by gaining something outside themselves. And in an affair, that something outside themselves is a relationship that feels exciting and fulfilling and connected. And so there is this struggle between the doing that thing that I'm supposed to do, that right choice I should make, and what they perceive as getting, that thing that makes me happy and satisfied and fulfilled. And they'll swing towards that thing that makes them feel good until enough guilt or pressure is applied, and then they'll come back to the marriage to feel 
better about that until the reality of their own dissatisfaction and the, the lure of that thing that felt so much better, it becomes strong enough to pull them back there that way again. And again, there's the cycle back and forth, back and forth until someone drops out of it. My work with unfaithful spouses is attempting to help them understand that there is a third motive that, that they can just grab onto will help move them out of the back and forth ping-ponging. That third motive I call being. The person having an affair can begin to consider who they are from the inside out. Then they have a better chance of making a healthy choice. That is a question that touches on character, on values, on legacy. It considers the story that I want to tell with my life how will that story end? And again, it's not a consideration just of the circumstances that I prefer to be in or what I want people to say about me as much as how do I understand the man or woman that I am, the man or woman I'm becoming, the man or woman I long to be in all of its facets, not just in the immediate gratification, but in that long-term story I want to tell. What does that look like? And if a person does that work, I have much more confidence in the choice that they are going to make on the other side of it. A book that I often recommend when a person is trying to wrestle with this thought is written by Donald Miller, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. It's a book that talks about the stories that we tell with our life and how we tell a good story. Hi, I wanted to know what boundaries do you suggest that should be made by the portrayed spouse? Uh, in the case of King Congress? That's a good question. The, the boundary should, in a general sense, be one in which you are no longer investing in the relationship. Of course, in a lot of marriages, a lot of families, there are still things you are going to have to, uh, there are ways you are going to have to relate to one another. You're going to have to communicate uh, to do the business of life stuff, paying bills, taking care of kids, you know, decisions about things that you've mutually committed to. And my encouragement would be to limit your interactions with the unfaithful spouse to those matters, the business of life things, and to avoid relationship discussions. In other words, do not try to engage them and to talk about your marriage and what you want for your marriage, those kinds of things. Don't go to couples counseling together when there's this indecision. It will not be helpful or effective. Um, unless you're going to discernment counseling, that may be something different, and we can talk about that more if you want to. But normal marriage counseling or couples counseling is not going to be effective when you've got indecision in one partner. So the boundaries are simply ones that allow you to maintain a relationship where the business of life things are dealt with, but you are no longer investing in, in relationship. Your focus is simply on you being healthy, getting outside help, trusted friends that you can talk to and rely on, but you make no further relationship investment with that person until they come to a place of single-mindedness and say, okay, I'm not ping-ponging anymore. I've, I've made a choice. I want to come back. And you give that a little bit of time to, to see that there's enough certainty for you to risk coming back into it again. Do you have a question How for me tonight? Yes. How many years or months or whatever should you expect an affair to last until it fizzles, if it is going to fizzle. If it's in that honeymoon, endorphin, yeah. whatever. 
I can tell you that there are affairs that fizzle in weeks and there are affairs that continue for years. So there is no one answer to that. It, it depends on so many factors. And here are just some of the factors that it depends on. It depends on the health of the marriage itself, not only currently, but how, how's the healthy, how healthy has the marriage been in its history? Uh, because when I'm dealing with marriages that have never had a strong, healthy connection, that if someone finds that in someone else outside the marriage, uh, it becomes more difficult for them to make a choice back into something that the reality is like they've never shared love and connection before. But most of the time, in most marriages, that's not true, simply not true. some point in the past, they did love each other. They did have connection. It was something that they both experienced as good. So the other factors involved can be two things. It can be how severe are the consequences if someone makes one choice or the other. Those can differ very, you know, according to different circumstances. How willing is the betrayed spouse to to say, I want to work towards forgiving you and the restoration of our marriage in a way that the betrayed spouse can have some hope that that may actually take place. Uh, how invested have the spouse and the affair partner become in each other? And invested, that can mean a lot of things. Emotionally invested, financially invested. I'm part of some affairs where there's actually children involved. So that certainly, the more investment there is in that relationship, the more likely it it may be that that's going to go on for a long time. The, the one thing I would say about affairs that, that continue for a very long time, that go on for months and months, that is when I join the opinion of other counselors that say that affairs should be exposed. I don't, I don't believe affairs should always be publicly exposed uh, right when they're found out. But when something, if someone is stuck in that relationship and it continues and continues and continues as a betrayed spouse, I certainly would encourage you not to be protecting the affair, not to be lying about the affair. I, I would certainly begin to consider dealing with that openly and honestly, or else you run the risk of the pattern never changing. What are the chances that an affair actually becomes a real relationship? Well, it can happen. It can happen. It does not usually happen. In fact, if you know the statistics, you know that most affairs, even, you know, because everyone feels so promising, especially when it's, there's emotional attachment. But the number of couples that can actually make it, and even those that leave their spouses to be together and actually move on to have, you know, a long-term satisfying relationship is small. And, and statistics vary depending on how you read them and what's included. But you're talking less than 10%. Some people put up lower than 4% that can actually sustain themselves. But out of all the potential people that someone could begin an affair with, that there is a chance that you may begin an affair with someone that actually has a number of natural connections with you. Again, let me say that everybody believes that's true when they're in the fair. Everyone thinks they found their soulmate. But in a small percentage of people, there may actually be, I don't go for the soulmate term, but there may be some actual significant ways in which 
they connect with each other relationally. And those points of connections can be vision of life, you know, how they look at the future and the things that are important to them. It could be in communication styles. It could be sexual connection. It could be the way that they plan and dream and work. I mean, it could be a number of different factors. But I do think that's possible. I'm not one to say that every affair is just you know, doomed in a fantasy and there's nothing of legitimacy in that relationship, sometimes it can happen. What if it's the woman's fourth time to have an affair? Well, <laughs> well then it's, how long has the affair gone on? Two years. Two years? Uh, well, okay, that's, that's not, I mean, that's, I know the from your perspective, that's a very yeah. long time, but it's not necessarily, uh, I mean, I've seen affairs that have been much longer than that, but, but yes, you're adding a, a component in there. If someone has a history of infidelity and they are the affair partner, they're probably pretty good at, at this by this point. And there are people that know exactly how to be in an affair, what kind of partner to be, and they are the ones that in many ways are driving the affair relationship. They're often the ones that actually started it and crossed the lines first and, and, and invited the other person into it and can continue to act in a way that keeps the affair going for as long as it is of benefit to them. If they're good at it, the spouse can be convinced that, oh, this is, you know, this is perfect. It, you know, it probably will eventually fall apart, but it can go on for a long time. Your choice has to be one in which you're, you know, you have to consider how long am I willing to sit around and wait to see, because I'm going to tell you, it can be years and years for that to actually happen. I have a wife that has had serious trauma in her life. She was beaten by her family, beaten by her ex-husband. Uh, when we had our child, she had a snap. She takes a lot of Seroquel and Paxil and Clonson, and her family beats her down so bad that she ended up starting an affair. And she got back into drugs and alcohol after she was sober for five or six years and has become a person that I don't even know who she is anymore. Um, the affair partner, as she tells me, is mean to her, is abusive, but it's a pattern that she's had residually in her life. And it's been going on for eight months now, on and off. And I'm just kind of wondering, you know, what I should do in this scenario. Do I try to love her and stand by her? Or I feel like if I enforce stiff boundaries, then, then my children are going to be in jeopardy because of the alcoholism, because of the marijuana use. And this individual that she's had the affair with is like all the other boyfriends she's had in her past that have been abusive and have been mean. And I don't want to expose my children to those types of things, so I'm kind of wondering what I'm supposed to do right now. In regards to the children, you have to be the healthy parent to step in and do what is ever ever necessary to keep them safe. And if you, if you have any hint or belief that there may be some risk because of this other relationship, my encouragement to you would be to document, to keep a record of things, and at the first hint that something unhealthy for them might be going on, to step in to create the necessary legal boundaries to keep them safe. But in regards to your wife, you know, when there is past trauma, it's obvious that that is contributing to the patterns that are taking place in an affair relationship. And, and as you've described it, I would certainly agree that that very likely is. I think the normal rules do have to be adjusted, sometimes quite a bit, because unless you deal with that, those trauma issues, you're likely not going to 
be effectively addressing what's driving this affair and, and probably other behaviors that may be going on in her life. Unfortunately, you can't force that to happen. She's an adult who can make her own choices. You can do what you need to do to protect your children, but as far as she goes, all you can do is offer the support if she's willing to get the help that she needs to address those issues. But I, I, you know, even if that affair in, runs its course and she were to come back to your marriage, if she doesn't address and, and go after some of those consequences of past abuses, I, I believe she, and of course you, will remain vulnerable for diffused boundaries in future relationships as well. So one of the things that I would certainly recommend, and if you want to go back and listen to, I think it's the second conference we had in which my wife Sharon came on and talked a little bit about uh, her approach and her working with clients that, are, that have a history of trauma or pain. It's an approach to counseling called EMDR. That is one approach that can be very effective. But again, your wife has to be willing to deal with those issues. For some people, they just don't want to deal with that, honestly. They'd rather find that thing that helps numb it. And for some, it can be an addiction to alcohol, to medications. For others, it can be same kind of addictive pattern to relationships. And affairs can be very problematic. Many of the things that we've said in regards to a fair recovery. They still are true in a circumstance like yours, but you, you have to be attentive to the trauma issues. And maybe unfortunately for you, I believe that unless you get professional help, unless she's willing to allow that to happen, it's unlikely that she's going to be able or that you're going to be able to work through those issues on your own. Uh, some of the events you've described are just too traumatic and life-altering to expect that well, I'll, let me just move on and get over these things. So go ahead. What is your question or comment? Uh, um, yes, I have another question about boundaries. And um, I know I just asked a question and you said that we shouldn't discuss anything in the relationship, which I don't. But mm -hmm. what I do is I participate like I'm a part of, like we, we've never separated. So when he's home, I'm wife. And when he's gone, I'm not, you know. So do I, would I need to stop that? When he's home, if, if part of your function, the business of life, is running a household and there are certain things he's responsible for, certain things you're responsible for, if he's making the food and you're, you know, cleaning this room or, you know, whatever those chores are, that's fine. And certainly in regards to your children, you have to remain uh, emotionally and relationally involved. But I would say yes, when it comes to the other factors of marriage, if you are having sex with him, if you know you are having the I, I in my opinion, yes, that should stop. You are being the paddle in the ping pong effect. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He, he gets to have his cake and eat it too. He can kind of fall back to whichever one he wants to go to. And I just think, you, and I don't think it should be in a, a mean, accusing, demanding sort of way. It, right. Even that can be said in a way that's, listen, I'm sorry this is happening, and I want to have the right kind of marriage with you, and I'm willing to do my part in making that happen, but I am not willing to participate in a marriage when someone else is involved. So you need to figure that out. If you're going to go be with that person, if you're going to be with them, well, make that choice and do it. But I'm not willing to act as your wife when you are giving yourself to someone else. My wife has had the affair, and it's it's over. And she tells me frequently that she's lost feelings, doesn't have the feelings as a wife should for me, and thinks the marriage should end. Yet she doesn't do anything to end the marriage. And I 
to do anything to save the marriage, and we're just we're stuck in a just a total rut. Uh, I can't figure out how to proceed, or and it's gotten to the point where she's got me questioning my desire to continue just from her inattentiveness, and I'm sort of being treated like an orphan, and it it gets old. So I, I'm just not sure how how to proceed. That can be a hard place to be in, and, and I, I'm not going to pretend to know what's going on inside of her or her yeah. motives. Some of the things that I do see sometimes is that uh, maybe the person that had the affair comes back to a marriage, maybe because the, the affair just, maybe it fell apart on the own, their own, maybe the affair partner left. Sometimes the affair is, there's still a connection with that person and it's just secret and unknown. There can be a lot of things going on, but for whatever reason they come back to the marriage, but they're not, they're not reinvested in the marriage. And sometimes their indecisiveness or their, their lack of any effort is simply a strategy to force the other person to make the choice. In other words, I know I did bad things, but I don't have to be the ultimate bad guy. If you file for divorce, then I can say, well, I came back, I was willing, I was here, you know, (laughs) you're the one that decided to get the divorce. That's a terrible game to play, but sometimes that's really what's going on. Unfortunately, it does fall to the betrayed spouse sometimes to initiate a more permanent choice because obviously you can't keep doing this and feel any kind of healthy satisfaction in the marriage that you have. So my, my encouragement would be, and you, you may have done all these things, but to say to her clearly, listen, I would like to rebuild our marriage and I'm willing to do my part in this, but I can't do it alone. Is this something you want? If you do, are you willing to do your work, do the work required for us to get better and we maybe go to counseling or whatever? If this is something that you don't want, uh, what does that look like? And are you willing to file for divorce? Now, is she sincerely caught in a place of indecision? Let me mention again a, an approach to counseling that I think would benefit the two of you, and that is discernment counseling. If you want to know more about discernment counseling, you can go to discernmentcounseling.com. It explains it. You can even search for possible counselors in your area that are trained in discernment counseling. It is a counseling that's different from normal couples counseling. The goal of discernment counseling is not to fix a marriage. Because if, you, if the two of you were to go to marriage counseling right now, it's very possible you would just stay stuck because you don't have the same defined agendas or goals. But discernment counseling is for marriages in which at least one partner is leaning out of the marriage, is not committed or even you know, voicing the question, do I really want to stay in this anymore? And if that's true of you or her, Discernment counseling is a short-term counseling approach in which you go together to a counselor, but the majority of the time is spent with each of you individually with the goal of coming to a healthy choice, and that healthy choice is one in which either one of you decides that you are going to move out of the marriage, or there is a commitment to a short-term, six-month process in which you wholeheartedly invest in seeing what your marriage can become if you give new attention to it. But it's to move you to a choice. This kind of indecision you're in in your marriage, you can sit in that for a very long time. It will wear both of you out. It is not satisfying. I would encourage you to do the things that would move you to a choice. And if she refuses to do any of those things, then it, unfortunately, it is up to you to make a choice. I can't tell you when that choice should be made or exactly how far it should go, but I would certainly say that probably the healthy thing for you to do would be to establish some boundaries and to focus on what your individual growth looks like 
so that you can make appropriate choices moving forward. I've been married 23 years. Um, the first infidelity situation happened with my wife, um, 2011. Um, she just walked out of the marriage, stayed gone for like four to five months. We took her back. Um, five years later, the same thing happened again. During the five years that we were attempting to get back together, uh, no emotion, uh, nothing, no intimacy, no nothing. Um, just this past year, uh, fast forward 2015, um, she's been gone now nine months. Doesn't want to talk about it. Just up and left me and the kids again. And so we're like at a gridlock. Uh, she just texts. She never calls and talks to the kids or me at all. You know, she doesn't talk to me at all. And we're like, okay, mom, what in the world is going on? And I'm just wondering, is the guilt so heavy that she don't want to speak or, or what in the world is going on in her mind? Well, there certainly may be some shame and guilt going on. I think it's probably more likely that whatever choices she's making, mm -hmm. she becomes very good at justifying those choices. We're, right, every, right. Every one of us is pretty good with that. And one of the biggest steps that most people in affairs will find themselves making is one in which they become emotionally detached from a spouse and even from their children. Because it's right. too... It's too painful to consider that and the choices you've made to leave them. Right. So, and I think, uh, I think along with that, she's kind of like reinvented herself. Even she went on her Facebook, took her, her name off and put this new name on, and it has no pictures of family at all. It's just herself on there. And it's just like we're like, okay, what in the world is going on? This is 23 years. Mom, what, what's going on in your mind? Yeah. And um, she alluded to the fact that she was in love with another woman, mm -hmm. and uh, she left the marriage, you know, and after a month after that, come to find out that didn't work out, and she didn't come back, but she went running further away. Yeah. And so it's just this gridlock. We're at a standstill. The family doesn't know what to do. She says she doesn't want to come back. She doesn't want to be married anymore, but she's not making a move towards divorce or, or anything of that nature, you know, so. Well, she's been disconnected for a long time, I, I, even counting the, t you know, when the period of time she came back but remained disconnected right. to you. She's with, been out of the marriage, it sounds, for quite a, quite a while. Uh, again, right. I never tell people what they should should or shouldn't do in regards to staying in a marriage or getting out unless I, I believe someone is at risk you know, right. in significant ways. That's, that's, that's kind of an individual choice. And there are some people that choose to stay in that place of sacrifice for a long time for whatever reasons. You know, hope for the children, you know, hope for the, the person will change. I'm just saying if you, if you choose to stay, you have to... I think withdraw all efforts to try to get her to change. I mean, the invitation is always there. And if she has parents who love her and so forth, certainly they will continue to want to be invested in letting her know, we want you back. You're welcome to come back. You know, forgiveness is here and all those sort of things. But you as a spouse should not be making any effort to do that. You need to focus on what it means for you to be a good father to your children. Right, to, to right. Heal and yourself. that's it. And, right, and, and, you know, it right. may be that you have to be the one that says, you know, well, I, I'm sorry that you can't be committed to this. 
I need to move on, we need to move on, and it's not fair that you be the one that has to initiate you know, a separation, divorce, or whatever, but sometimes it's left to you to do those things. She would rather probably just not have to deal with it because that would tap into responsibility and shame and guilt. Right, happens. right. Okay. Yeah, that sounds that sounds about like right where we're at exactly. Yeah. And, and I've not reached out to her. I gave her no contact to just kind of like leave her alone because the first time in 2011, you know, you, the mind just went crazy like, okay, what's going on? But yeah. the second time that it happened, I felt like a calm. I said, you know, I'm going to just let it go. I'm not going to badger her okay. or, or anything. But yeah. it's it's strange, though, but when she texts the kids, though, it's I'm telling you, it's like, hey, so how are you guys doing? Is everything okay? Like nothing has happened, and the kids yeah. are like, what in the world is going on? Yeah, I'm hoping that in some future episodes we can have some some people who have experienced this from the children's perspective and talk about right. what that is like. And, and that is, I mean, it is sad, but that is something that happens very often. Um, I mean, I appreciate your, your question, your comment, and I know it's difficult moving forward, but it sounds like maybe a reason it's a little bit easier for you the second time around is you are learning and growing and taking responsibility for yourself. I encourage that to continue happening. I do want to mention, too, a book that I often talk about, and the last caller just reminded me of it. It is the uh, book titled Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me. Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me. If you want a clear explanation of how people self-justify to feel okay about the choices they're making, <laughs> that book does it in, in, in an awesome way. The book is not about affairs, although two chapters do deal with uh, infidelity and marriage issues. Uh, it, it's just simply a, simply a look at how the power of justification and the, the need to avoid that internal conflict in us when the choices we're making are inconsistent with maybe values we have or, or beliefs that we used to have, how we adjust ourselves so that we don't feel that tension anymore. It's a good read. Mistakes were made, but not by me. Thank you for being part of tonight. I'll look forward to joining you next uh, Sunday night, same time, 6 p.m. See you then.